You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are so glad that you are with us today at Calvary. So let me tell you something that happened a couple of, about a week and a half ago. Uh, My nine-year-old daughter, Livy, told me that she wanted her and I to go out to lunch together because we hadn't been spending enough time together. So I said, okay. And we, we went to lunch and we went to this place that both of us like. And she ordered sushi because, of course, when you're nine years old, sushi is your favorite food. And I ordered a salad because I want to live longer and not have any joy in my life. And so, and I asked for it. I just, I ordered a salad and it had like some salmon. So I just said, blacken it. And uh, when you think it's blackened, blacken it more. And uh, so then, uh, and no croutons because, you know, why, why have like joy in any bite? And so anyway, so I, I, I got it. And I got the salad and it was full. It's like they gave me extra croutons. It was like just like a dash of lettuce and uh, like a bunch of rocks. And, uh, and then I, the salmon was barely cooked. And I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. There's like a ton. I'm trying to eat around the croutons, but like it's kind of hard to do because it's all croutons. And, uh, and then can you just throw the salmon back on for like half an hour? And, uh, and so anyway, um, so then they came back. They made me a new salad, and it only had two croutons in it, so that was fine. And then, uh, but the, the salmon was not very well cooked. And uh, so the manager comes over and apologized. And I'm like, look, it's all good. It's all good. It just, you know. And so they're like, how about this? We're going to make you a new one, and then you can take it home and eat it later. And I said, okay, that, that's fine. And she walks away, and Livy, my daughter, is like, this is amazing. We come here for lunch, and they're giving us free dinner as well? What kind of a restaurant is this? Well, while all of this is going on, a woman walks in, and she is holding this Mylar birthday balloon, and at the end of that little nylon string, there is a gift card that's in one of those little gift card envelopes, and it's tied to it. Well, apparently when she walks in, uh, she lets go of the balloon for a second. The balloon shoots up to, uh, I mean, the ceiling in this restaurant had to be 40 feet high. So it shoots all the way up, and then because there's some weight on it with the gift card, it starts floating down. But as it starts floating down, every time it hits the AC vents, it shoots back up to the roof. And so we're watching this. And, you know, when you're, like, waiting for your food, like, anything like that is, like, major excitement. So we're, we're doing that. And then there was a soap opera on, and Livy and I, we couldn't hear what, what they were saying. So her and I were just changing the dialogue, which that was, like, hands down one of the ten funniest moments of my life. Anyway, so we're watching this come down, and then it, it hits the vance, goes back up. And then I see it kind of, sw- like, uh, go towards the bar. And I say, Livy, if it gets a little closer, I want you to watch this. So... The balloon is coming down near the bar area, so I walk up, I climb on top of one of the stools, I put my foot on the bar. I can assure you, I'm probably the only person who's ever like stood on the bar and not been drunk. And, uh, and so I see it comes down right before it hits the AC vent. I jump up from the bar, I catch the balloon, come back down with my spidey reflexes, and I mean, people start clapping, cheering. It was amazing. My daughter, Livy, is like that's my dad. You know, it's like this incredible moment. And so anyway, she was like, dad, this is like the 
best lunch ever. And then uh, we're driving home, and she's like, hey, why do you go this way? And I said, oh, it's a little safer. And uh, then two cars collided. Um, and so some, someone was playing on their phone, and they, they just didn't stop at a stop sign, and then someone came and just, like, tore off their, the front end of their car. And, but I, we kind of, like, swerved out of the way and, you know, all that. She thought it was like a ride at Disney. She's like, oh, this is like Mr. Toad's. And uh, some of you don't even remember Mr. Toad's. It's so sad. And, uh, but she, we get home, and so we're about to get out of the car, and I'm like, so, Liv, did you have a good time? And she's like, Dad, there is no way you have this much, this much excitement when you're with my mom. And, and I'm like, well... It's a different kind of excitement. And, uh, and so, anyway, but she, this is like the lunch she'll never forget, right? And she's like, and so she came in, she told, all, you know, her brother and sister about it, and she told her mom about it. Anyway, so I feel like this is that kind of uh, message, because we're going we're gonna to talk about some touchy topics today, and we're going to be confronted with some truths from God's Word that stand in direct opposition to the culture and which we live. Now, here's the good news. The good news is this is nothing new because it's not like this message became countercultural 2000 you know today this message was countercultural nearly 2000 years ago when it was written. And so I tell you all of this and if you haven't been with us a few weeks ago we started a series that we've been calling a beautiful mess and it's a, a series through the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, if you're not aware 1 Corinthians in the New Testament it's a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians that were living in a city called Corinth. Corinth is a city in southern Greece. He planted that church, spent about two years there. Then he leaves, and he gets a letter from a woman by the name of Chloe, who is a woman that he's friends with. Her, her and her family go to the church at Corinth, and she says, Paul, things at this church are totally out of control. And by the way, Chloe was understating it because it was totally out of control. The church had all kinds of problems. They had division. They had infighting. They had uh, people that were suing each other. They had people getting drunk, taking communion. I mean, it was a total mess. And so Paul writes them a letter to tell them that a divided world needs a united church. And the key to being a united church is having what he calls the mind of Christ. And what does that mean? The mind of Christ is thinking about things the way Jesus thinks about things. It's knowing what God wants us to do and speaking in a way that's consistent with the character and nature of God. And that's what he talks about in the first three chapters of the book. And then he gets to the, the chapters four, five, and six, and he starts talking about how in the church we need to be able to judge between what's right and what's wrong. There's a situation that comes up that we talked about last time in chapter five about a guy in the church who's having an affair with his stepmom. I mean, like, ew. And then... Uh, but they're like, oh, it's not a big deal. And he's like, no, 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 you're, you're boasting about it, but you really should have been grieving over it, and you, you have to correct this for his sake, for her sake, for the family's sake, and for the church's sake. And that's what leads up to a much more serious conversation on the subject of sexuality. Now, I want you to know that this is not uh, an easy topic because of the culture in which we live, because all of us, and I talk about this sometimes, that all of us are kind of at different levels of spiritual understanding and maturity and all of that. And, and that's just kind of what makes just teaching here a bit of a challenge than, like, if you're a fourth grade math teacher, then everyone in your fourth grade math class is the same age, and everyone has the same level of experience, which is third grade math. And so, but here, it's totally different. We have people who are single, people who are married, people who are single and wish they were married, people who are married and, let's be honest, wish they were single. And they, we have people who are 
not yet Christians. We have people who are new Christians. We have people who are maturing Christians. And then we have people who are like the Bible champion of 1979. Um, and it's, so it's like, it's the whole, we're running the whole gambit here. And so the challenge is, once again, is that we're, we're all at, at different levels of, of understanding and spiritual growth and all that. And, and truth be told, some of us have accepted a narrative that's been given to us by the culture. And we have some decisions to make in our time together. And so what I want to do as we get started is I want to lay out kind of three truths that are going to frame our conversation as we talk about some, some serious things. And so the first is this. The first is that Christians believe the Bible to be our ultimate authority. The Bible is our ultimate authority. Now, this means we are not aided by what culture says. Uh, We're not aided by our feelings or what the popular opinion of the day is. The problem with all of those things is that they all change constantly. Our feelings change constantly. What culture says is good changes constantly. And what the popular opinion of the day is constantly changing. And so as Christians, what we trust, according to what the New Testament teaches, the Apostle Peter, he says that God has given us everything that we need to live a godly life because we believe that God loves us and we believe ultimately that his commands are for us. And the moment that we add an addendum to that, we find ourselves on a slippery slope. Now, here's the second thing. The second thing is that disagreeing with someone's choices does not constitute hate. Now, here's why I tell you that, because there's a line of reasoning that our culture has created that simply isn't true. You disagree with uh, the people that you love most in the world. I disagree with myself on a regular basis. So disagreeing with someone is just part of what it means to be human. And whenever I have a conversation and someone accuses me like, oh, you're just a hater, that's why. And, And it's like, I tell them this. I'm like, The fact that we're having a conversation and I disagree and you say, well, that's because you're a hater, that's a sign that you have a very weak argument. And, you know, if I have a conversation with an atheist, as I have on many occasions, and I disagree with their views on God, their their views on good and evil in the universe, I don't hate them. In fact, the fact that I'm engaging in a conversation reveals how much I care. And so my encouragement to you is do not believe that false dichotomy. Saying, well, if you don't agree with me, you hate me. That's like saying, if you don't like the color blue, you must be a vegetarian. Like, the two things just have nothing to do with each other. It doesn't make any sense. And the problem is, is that people have repeated this line so many times that our culture has started to believe that it's true. But listen, just because someone jumps up and down and yells loudly doesn't make something true. What makes something true is what if, and this is what we've been always said, our view of truth. Our truth is that which corresponds to reality. And saying that someone who disagrees with you hates you just isn't in line with reality. Third thing I want to tell you, and then we're going to get into our text, and that is that God's commands are ultimately for you. Every command that God gives us, they are not arbitrary. It's never God flexing his muscles for no reason. They are commands that are given out of love. And sometimes those commands are directly opposed to what we want or how we feel. And then we have a decision to make. We have to decide, do we believe that God is good and his commands are ultimately for me? Or... Do I believe that God is somehow holding out on me? And if I follow him, I'm going to miss out on what I ultimately want. You see, we make that decision multiple times a day when we decide whether we're either going to go our own way or trust the heart 
of our Heavenly Father. And so that's the backdrop. Now we're going to jump into our text together. If you're here, by the way, that means you saw the PG-13 sign and you're good. So, okay, here we go. So starting in verse uh, 9, here's what we read. Oh, let me say this real quick just to give you a little context. If you weren't here last week, and I know that last week was the week after Easter, and some people feel like the week after Easter is an optional church day. It's not, by the way. So, just an FYI. So, anyway. But what we talked about last time, if you weren't here, is that we talked about this issue, that this guy is sleeping with his, uh, his stepmom. And what Paul talks about is, is that even the, the, the foolish person in the church is able to better differentiate what should happen in the church than someone who's outside. And that was essentially what he's saying. And then he talks about just the character qualities of people inside the church, people who have been trans- whose lives have been transformed versus going to those outside the church to get them to differentiate between uh, whatever squabble we might have. So that, with that said, here's what he says. Verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, uh, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. And if you pause there and give me your attention, first thing that I want to tell you is this, is that believers should be living differently than everyone else. Now, which by the way, it got so quiet in here. It is amazing how quiet, and you guys are never this quiet. So just, can we just like all exhale? Like, okay, we're going to talk about some things. All right. So, all right. Just, it's all, it's all good. So Christians should be living differently. Now, once again, last week we talked about a few things on this list. Paul repeats them. He says them at the end of chapter five. He repeats some of them and adds a few new things in chapter six. And so that's what we're going to talk about today are the heavier ones. And the good news is that most of us can agree on the majority of these. I don't think there's anyone taking up the cause of like extortionist Christians or thieves who love Jesus or adulterers for the gospel, right? We're all kind of, in an, we have an understanding of that. But when he starts talking about uh, fornication, fornicators, he's talking about uh, sex outside of the covenant of marriage. And sometimes this is an issue inside the church that people will either have an issue with or they will agree with on paper, but deny it in practice. And listen, the point that Paul is making as he starts outlining all of these things, he's saying, this is what people who don't know Jesus do. It should not even be named among Christians. As Christians, we should be seeking to honor God with every part of our lives. Why? Because we are believers. And listen, it's, it, it's, it happens in the church, and sometimes it, we, we act like it's okay, and it's not okay. I can't tell you how many times people have made appointments with me. Hey, pastor, we want you to officiate our wedding, and I'll start asking a simple question like, do you guys both have two different addresses? And like, well, you know, and then it kind of starts the whole thing, and it's like, well, we live together, but we don't, we don't have sex. It's like, yeah, I sleep with a bag of Oreos under my pillow every night, but I don't eat them. And, um, and that's, listen, and what happens is they're like, well, we live together. Yeah, we're having sex, but we, we just want, you, we want God's blessing on our marriage. And it's like, if you think that just me waving my hand or something over your relationship is going to bless it, then you really have no understanding of what it means to be blessed by God. 
The thing that blesses your relationship is not uh, the fact that you're married inside of a church building. It's the fact that you're obeying God and inviting his blessing into your life. And I tell couples this all the time. And I'm like, you, you, want, to st- you want God's blessing? Here's what I encourage you to do. Stop sinning. Go to the courthouse and get married. Yeah, but we want to get married in a church. Then stop sinning. Uh, but th- you, you got to make a decision in your life. If you want the blessing of God in your relationship, you got to start doing things God's way. And the reason that I bring this up is because part of the problem that we have in the church, when we talk about other issues like homosexuality that's mentioned here, is, and and by the way, it's not just here that um, homosexuality is mentioned. It's mentioned in Romans 1. It's mentioned in 1 Timothy 1. It's mentioned in uh, several Old Testament passages like Leviticus 18 and Deuteronomy, and specifically mentioned as a sin. The point is this. For years in the church, Christians in America in particular, have kind of winked at God's commands about sexuality, marriage, and divorce. And so, but then when it comes to homosexuality, we kind of put our foot, no, 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 we got to be biblically sound. And, and, and here's the problem. The problem is this. No one believes us anymore. Because when Christians have decided to kind of sleep around like non-Christians do, when people who call themselves Christians have decided to live together like non-Christians do, when people who call themselves Christians have decided to get divorced like non-Christians do, when people who call themselves Christians are having affairs like non-Christians do, listen, at some point, we start losing our voice as the church. And that's the hard truth that we have to deal with. And listen, the only way that we can speak to our culture about a proper sexual ethic is by getting our own house in order and modeling a proper sexual ethic as the church. That's the reality. I mean, we are like a friend of mine who one time, this is years ago, we were having lunch and he was telling me uh, how to lose weight. And he had put together the perfect weight loss program for me. The problem is he was 70 pounds overweight and he was eating a Big Mac while he was telling me what I needed to do. And that's what we look like to an unbelieving world. It's like we're sleeping around and we're living together and we're, you know, getting divorced and we're having affairs. And then we're like, yeah, but you know, when it comes to this, you guys, and it's like, no, we got to get our own house in order. And by the way, just, just to answer the question. So it's like, well, do you believe homosexuality is a sin? Yes. There's no way around it. Uh, This passage lists it amongst uh, other sins. And, And listen, people, there's, you know, liberal scholars who, uh, some that try to make it mean something else. And by the way, one of the arguments that's made is, well, you got to understand that this culture in which it was, this, this letter was written to, they didn't understand homosexuality like we do now. Listen, an argument could be made that the Roman culture in which this letter was written was more sex crazed and more sexually depraved than any other culture in human history. This Roman culture, 14 of the 15 uh, Roman Caesars were openly homosexual. The philosopher Socrates was homosexual and most likely Plato as well. And there are those who say that, well, Paul here is just talking about pedophilia, which this would include that, but not limited to that. He's talking about um, all homosexual acts. In fact, he goes so far as to talk about it in two ways. And by the way, this is the, the next like three sentences are going to be the more, uh, I'm not trying to be needlessly graphic, but to explain what Paul is saying, I'm going to be needlessly glass, uh, graphic. And th- those last three sentences were not the three sentences that I'm talking about. It's the upcoming three. So the first thing, when he says homosexual, he uses the Greek word malakoi. 
And what he ta- that is referring to the passive partner in uh, homosexual sex. When he talks about sodomites, he's talking about uh, arsenokoitos uh, is the uh, Greek word. It's a compound word, and it refers to the active partner. As one scholar says, malakoi is the penetratee, and arsenokoitos is the penetrator. Now, I want you to notice something about what is being spoken about here. What is being spoken about is the act of homosexual sex that he's talking about. He is not talking about temptation, and he's not talking about, you know, just like maybe a desire, and those are two separate things. Um, Everyone experiences temptation, and if you have never experienced temptation, you are not human, and you should see somebody about that. And, um, but a man who finds a woman who is not his wife attractive isn't sinning. Now, if, he, if it gets to the point of lust, well, now we're talking about a different matter, and yes, it is. But the point is this, is that everyone experiences temptation. There is no sin in being tempted. And Jesus was tempted, by the way. And so, you, if you're not aware of that, read the Gospels. The sin is not in the temptation. The sin is always in giving in to the temptation. Now, there's three things that I want us to note before we move on. The first thing, and this is because it's 2021, you have to actually state this. We don't hate gay people. We love gay people. We just, as Christians, believe in a different sexual ethic than those in Uh, that community. We don't hate fornicators. We don't hate adulterers. We may disagree with these lifestyle choices, but we just believe in a different sexual ethic. And so, but once again, according to the Bible, as, as we've been reading this in many other places, homosexuality, like all sin, is less than God's best for you. The second thing that's important for us to know is that God calls all Sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman, sin. And if you're upset with that, your problem is not with me. Because in the kingdom of God, I am in sales, not management. Okay? That's an important thing for you to know. So, (laughs) I'm surprised. I don't know you guys are going to like that that much. I use that more often. But listen, every human being is a sinner. We all are. We all struggle with different things. And the third thing is Paul references this list as a list of things of who the Corinthians used to be. And that is the whole point of bringing this up. It's like you guys are going to court because you have differences between brothers and sisters. It's like, don't you realize that this is who you're going to people who are these things, but this is who you used to be? And you've been transformed by Jesus. Of course you're able to handle these things because you've been set free from these things. So then the question becomes, why even point out these sins specifically at all? And that's the issue that Paul brings up next, starting in verse 12. He says this, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods but God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one with her? 
For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing that I want to talk about. And that is this, that believers should be wise with their bodies. Now, remember that this conversation started in chapter five where Paul was correcting that behavior between that and what was happening in that family with that guy and his stepmom. And so he decides that this moment, since I'm talking about this, this is our moment where we're going to have the talk. I mean, do you remember having the, do you remember when your parents had the talk with you? And do you remember as if you're a parent, when you had the talk with your kids and, and my wife and I decided that she was going to have the talk with the girls and I was going to have the talk with my son. And I'm like, all right, I'll do it. And, um, and then I came home one day from church, uh, and she said, well, we had, Xander and I had the talk and I was like, praise the Lord. And, uh, I mean, that's great. That's great. I'm glad. Anyway, so now when I had the talk, and probably the reason why I was, I was so dreading it was because of how traumatizing it was to have the talk. Now, the way I had the talk, I was 11 years old, and my mom and I, I was, we were still living in Boston, and so uh, we went to get some, pick up some takeout Chinese food. And so we had ordered the food, and we were sitting, waiting for the takeout to be ready. And my mom turns to me and she says, hey, we have a few minutes. It'd probably be good to talk about sex before we have lunch. And I had, for the next 10 minutes, a sex talk with my mom, which was wildly more graphic than need be, while I'm waiting for sweet and sour chicken. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your life where you're like, I I wasn't a Christian, but I'm like, God, if you're there, I ask that the earth would open up and just swallow me whole. And it did not. And needless to say, that Chinese food did not taste right. It did not. It did not. But here's the thing is that I look back now and I'm like, you know, maybe that was the perfect place to have this conversation because everything that I had been taught by friends, by TV, and by culture was basically that sex was like fast food. That sex was something that you did, that it was a physical act and not much else. And it was pretty much the view of the Greek culture, that it was, they, they had a very low view of sex. It was a very morally loose culture where sex was who you had sex with and how often you had sex with them or whatever was really no big deal. And uh, that's pretty much how, where our culture kind of lives. And then there's this other extreme. And in fact, this is what Paul's going to address in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians is in, in response to that, they were saying, no, 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 you shouldn't be having any sex, that even married couples should not be getting in, doing anything, even for procreation. And the problem is neither view is correct. Neither view is correct. That this was never, listen, God's intention, that what happened was these people became Christians and they had a totally different way of looking at sexuality. Christianity holds sex in the highest of regards. And it teaches us three things about sex as God designed. Number one is this from what we looked at. Number one is that sex is more than an appetite. The saying in that culture was food for the stomach and stomach for food. What that meant was, is that, that sex is an appetite like hunger. You get hungry, you eat something, you have an urge and you just fulfill that desire. The culture had a very low view, and Christianity is different. Christianity has a very high view of sex, as we will read here, uh, that sex is so much more than just a physical act. 
Because, and this is what brings us to number two, that sex is one part of giving yourself to someone. If you remember, for those of you that were here on Easter, we talked about this, that we were talking about the resurrection. And one of the things that we said in that message was that the idea of preaching that Jesus had risen from the dead was not a necessarily popular view if you were trying to start a religion that everyone would believe because the Greeks, that was not attractive to them because the way that the Greeks viewed life and the way that they viewed the body, they they see salvation as the liberation of the soul from the body. That's why they don't think that what you do in your body even matters because they viewed it as a separation. The Christian understanding is that you are what is called a lower trinity. There is the trinity, which is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And by the way, that's not you. And then there is a lower trinity. And the lower trinity is body, soul, and spirit. That you, There's three huge components to you. Your body is your physical body. Your soul is your personality. That's made up of your background, your experiences, and your mind, your intellect. The spirit is the innermost person. That is the part of you that connects with God. But when we decide to only engage with someone for their body, then listen, we become monstrous. And let me explain what that means, what I mean by that. Um, If you've ever seen a movie where some like zombie type person shows up and they're like missing limbs and or the limbs are in the wrong places and half their head is blown off or something, it's monstrous. And the reason why it's monstrous is because you know what a human being looks like and that doesn't look human. And if you can let me nerd out for a minute, if, you, if you've ever seen Star Trek, anybody ever seen Star Trek? Okay, like the original Star Trek, like Captain Kirk, Star Trek. Okay, now there's like seven of us. All right, so apparently I'm only giving this illustration for myself. So, the very first episode of the original Star Trek series, which I believe came out in 1966, um, is an episode called The Cage. And that is the, the very first episode. Captain Kirk isn't even the captain of the Enterprise at this time. So they go to this planet. Just forgive me. Let me nerd out. I promise this has a point. The Enterprise goes to this planet called Talos IV. They get to Talos IV and they meet a woman by the name of Vina. Vina is very beautiful and uh, Captain Pike, who Captain Christopher Pike, he's the captain of the Enterprise at the time. He starts falling in love with this woman named Vina. The problem is when her ship had crash landed on Talos IV, the Talosians tried to put her back together, but they didn't know, they had never seen a human before. And so they tried to put her back together, but she was horribly disfigured. And so, and when, and when they break the illusion of what, because what they had created this illusion of beauty, but when they had, when they take the illusion away, they, they see what she really looks like, not the veneer on the outside. And it's, it's, it's very painful to see because it's not what humanity is supposed to look like. Now, here's the point. God sees not only the material, but the immaterial. He sees not only what you are supposed to look like physically, but what you are supposed to look like spiritually and emotionally as well. And when he sees a person or a group of people that are willing to be physically one, but not emotionally one, not socially one, not economically one, not uh, spiritually one, it doesn't look like the way that you were designed to look. What happens is it's like two pieces of paper that you glue together and then you try to separate. Pieces of yourself get ripped and left on the other person, and it looks monstrous. And by the way, this is not God being prudish. In fact, it's just the opposite. When we get to chapter 7 next week, we're going to see that Paul talks about how with married couples, uh, 
with men and women who are married that sex should be free and frequent in the bonds of a healthy marriage. Third thing I'm going to tell you, and then we're going to move on, and that is that just because it's legal doesn't make it wise. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Just because something is legal doesn't make it good. And that he says, just because something is legal doesn't mean that I'm going to be brought under the power of anything. I tell my kids this all the time. You may want to share it with your kids, but I've told them this probably a million times. Don't get into something that it takes a 12-step program to get out of. All right? I tell them this all the time. Don't get into something that takes a 12-step program to get out of. So whether that's drinking or drugs or gambling or debt, yes, there is such a thing called Debtors Anonymous. You're like, I bet you there isn't. And if you're betting me, you need to go to Gamblers Anonymous. So think about it. Anyway, but, but this is why... Paul says this, he says, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. You see, that's why Christians have a totally different perspective on what we do physically, that whatever our sexual appetite, opposite sex, same sex, both sexes, whatever it is, our bodies are not our own. Why? Because Jesus paid the price and purchased us. And that's what he's going to say next. Look at verse 18. He says this, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, pause there and give me your attention. Here's the last thing I want to share with you, and that is that believers should honor God with every part of them. Now, uh, my daughter Mia, she's 14, and she asks me every year around December, January, if we're going to have a Super Bowl party. Now, the way it works at our house, and Super Bowl parties are kind of a big thing at our house, and the reason that we, we on, I only host a Super Bowl party if the Patriots are in the Super Bowl, because I grew up in Boston, which means we basically host a Super Bowl party almost every year. And so, and yes, that included last year, because basically the Patriots were in the Super Bowl. And so, or I say last year, I mean a couple months ago, last season. And so, but in 2017, I don't know if you remember this, when the Patriots were playing the Falcons, and they were down 28-3 to with five minutes left in the third quarter. They came back, tied the game at the end of regulation, and then won in overtime. All right, amazing moment. One of the greatest moments in the history of sports, besides other Boston wins. And so, now, here's the other thing that you need to know. We, ha- we don't have a lot of rules at our house, but one of the rules is no jumping on the furniture. And I tell my kids this all the time. There's no jumping on the furniture. And the kids have gotten older, but, so it doesn't happen as much. But then the Patriots won the Super Bowl, and something happened. And someone was nice enough to capture it on video. Here's what it looks like. Those eight seconds that you just watched... I have never been able to live down, mostly because of my youngest daughter, um, who is the least impressed with me of all three of my children. And, uh, and so there, she'll say, uh, you know, that's the day that you broke your own rule. That's the day you broke your own rule. You're like, no jumping on the furniture. And then you broke your own rule. And so I got rid of those couches yesterday. And so I did. And so I was, we had bulk trash, and so I was getting rid of them. And they were all, like, destroyed. And so I was getting rid of them, and the bulk trash came this morning. And, you know, I, I was taking something out. And you know what my daughter said to me yesterday? She's like, and I'm like, what are you thinking about? She's like, I'm looking at those couches. 
and I'm remembering that's the day. You broke your own rule. And it's like I've never been able to live it down. And, and by the way, you know, and, and here's what. It's not that they are saying you're not allowed to make the rules. And why? Because there's an understanding that the person who pays for the couches gets to make the rules. The person who purchases it sets the rules. And that's true in your life and in mine. If you are a Christian, you have been bought with a price. The, the, the price that was paid was Jesus' blood that was shed for you. And so... This is what he's going at. Now, let me give you a little bit of background that I think is going to color these couple of verses uh, that we're going to look at. In overlooking the city of Corinth, um, was, uh, there was some hills. On top of it was a temple that was dedicated to the goddess Aphrodite. And this temple was overlooking the city. And every night, a thousand temple prostitutes from the temple of Aphrodite would, go, would descend into the city and they would raise money uh, for their pagan temple. And apparently some of the people in the church had either accepted or engaged in the services of these prostitutes. And so Paul starts explaining that two people uh, engaging in sex are becoming one. And here's what happens. When two people are married, when a man and woman are married and they engage in sex, it unites them. When two people who are not married engage in sex, it starts to tear them apart. And if you don't believe me, ask someone who sleeps around. And you, you got to get under all the tough guy, tough girl, doesn't matter what I do. Get under all of that. And you know what you'll find? And I've had these conversations countless times. And let me tell you what happens when you get under all the tough guy and tough girl stuff. You find a brokenness and an acknowledgement that sex really is a sacred thing. And when it's used with the wrong person outside of marriage, it tears you apart. And that's why Paul makes this contrast. And he's saying, in, in contrast to these temple prostitutes that go out every night to serve their temple, here's what he says, you are the temple. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you. And what we do with our body matters. And that begs the question that those outside of the church will ask, as much as those of us inside the church will ask this, why does it matter? Why does God care? I mean, Right? Why does God care who I have sex with or don't have sex with, or if it's a woman or a man or both or none? I mean, why does it even matter? Let me ask you a different question. Why wouldn't it matter? If we really have a Heavenly Father who loves us and cares about our future, why wouldn't everything that we do matter to Him? And if the fact that it doesn't matter to us, that doesn't make us somehow elevated or forward-thinking or progressive in our ideas. It simply reveals our lack of wisdom. When my kids were a little bit younger, we walked out of the house one day and we found this caterpillar in our front porch. And the kids were like, it's so cute. Can we bring it in? And Carrie and I said no. And they were astonished that we would deprive them of fun and having a little pet. And then my wife explained to them that this little caterpillar, was it's cute, but it's poisonous. And, and so the question is, I mean, it's only a caterpillar. I mean, why would my parents care if I have a caterpillar or not? Of course we care. Because when you love, you care no matter how minute the detail. And that's true for you as a parent. How much more is it not true for our Heavenly Father? And God's desire for us, whether we realize it or not, is for us to have healthy relationships on every level spiritual, emotional, and yes, physically as well. 
and the things that we do that violate his design, listen, ultimately rob us of the ability to have joy that healthy relationships bring. And my friends, that is his desire for us. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that reality, that your desire in relationships is for us to have maximum joy. And so God, we pray, we understand that culture can influence us and maybe has even put us at odds with what the scriptures say. God, I pray that you'd help us even in that, that we would be loving to all, but ultimately honoring to you. And so God, I pray that we would be a people that know how to answer those who disagree, not because we hate, but just the opposite, because we love and we care. So God, you want to do a great work with this group, this congregation, this church. And I pray that it would begin here and now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.